Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Luke's English Podcast. This episode is about uh, Steve Jobs, the former CEO of Apple Computers, who sadly died yesterday from pancreatic cancer. Now, um, you probably know Steve Jobs, a very famous business leader. Um, He's the guy who set up Apple Computers back in the 1970s or 1980s, I believe. And he's the guy who brought us these incredible innovations like the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad. He's the one who many people believe has changed the world with these um, with these innovations, these new gadgets. Um, that's debatable. Some people think that they can't live without their iPhone. Um, what we what we know for sure is that he achieved a hell of a lot in his life, um, and he was incredibly successful. and And many people use him as a as an example of uh, a, a great business leader, the sort of person who can use charisma and energy and drive and enthusiasm and ideas to push his um, his vision all the way through from just having an idea all the way through the development process, all the way through the marketing process to bring these products onto the market and make them incredibly successful and make people feel that they can't live without them. That's certainly um, maybe his greatest um, achievement to, to make people feel that they can't live without certain new products. Um, the iPod, for example, an incredible design, just making the MP3 player so simple. So many clever features about the iPod. The fact that it uses that central wheel, uh, the wheel that you use to, to browse through your music. The fact that he combined that with iTunes software. Um, and then, of course, the iPhone, which, uh, which brought so many things together into one place, into a smartphone in your hand, and did it in a, in a better way than any, any of the, the other competitors. Um, so he did it so well that everyone felt like they had to have an iPhone, or at least, you know, a lot of people felt they had to have an iPhone. Um, and then, of course, the iPad, uh, which um, many people think that is, is completely unnecessary. It received quite a lot of criticism, but the fact is that it was the first step in a new direction for, for, for computers. These tablet computers, which you can kind of take everywhere with you. They're incredibly portable. They're, they, um, they don't take up much space. They're completely um, free of any cables. This is probably the future for computer technology as we know it. Um, all of this was pushed uh, through from the ideas stage into the uh, marketing and uh, retail stage by Steve Jobs. Steve, of course, was famous for um, uh, he was famous for his speeches. He made uh, very um, 
well-known um, speeches and presentations where he unveiled his new products, uh, like where he, you know, he announced the, uh, the the iPhone by saying that this changes everything. Um, and also he made a famous speech to some students, uh, some graduate students at Stanford University in America. Uh, you're actually going to listen to that speech um, in this podcast. Um, so that's it. That's what, that's what we're going to do. First, you're going to listen to a speech that Steve Jobs made to graduates at Stanford University in 2005. It's a very famous speech. It's an excellent example of a very motivating, very passionate, emphatic um, presentation speech. Um, something that learners of English can use to, to, to really sort of study the language and to pick up some useful techniques um, as ways of making your English speaking or at least your presentations sound uh, very enthusiastic and motivating. So we're going to listen to that. I will identify some features of language that he uses um, and then uh, I'll read out some, some things that uh, some famous people have said in the news about, um, about um, Steve Jobs. And then afterwards I'm going to read the transcript of uh, his speech to you, um, just in my accent, in a kind of English accent, just so that you can compare, um, like the way he does it, the way he did it. Um, I mean, uh, with his American accent and the way that I do it with my English accent, just to give you a chance to compare the difference uh, in the American accent and an English accent, um, just to give you an idea of, of what people thought of Steve Jobs. Um, according to a Reuters news feed, which um, I've got here on my BlackBerry phone. That's right, I use BlackBerry now. I kind of, um, yeah, I stopped using my iPhone because it's too expensive. But I, I use a BlackBerry. And anyway, on my BlackBerry, I've got um, some comments from people uh, through, through Reuters, the news agency. President Barack Obama um, has paid tribute to Steve Jobs. He called him a visionary and a great American innovator. He said, um, Steve was among the greatest of American innovators, brave enough to think differently, bold enough to believe he could change the world, and talented enough to do it. That was Barack, that's what Barack Obama said on Wednesday. Um, he said, the world has lost a visionary, and there, there may be no greater tribute to Steve's success than the fact that much of the world learned of his passing on a device that he invented. Which is quite a good point from, from Barack Obama, of course. He said that probably many people in the world learned that Steve Jobs had... Uh, I can't speak. Many people in the world learned that Steve Jobs had died um, by getting a message on their iPhone, which is obviously the uh, invention that, that Steve Jobs came up with. Um, all sorts of other political... Um, leaders, um, technology leaders, entertainment and business leaders around the world have paid tribute to Steve Jobs. Here's a quick selection. Bill Gates, Microsoft co-founder and chairman. He said this, Steve and I met, uh, Steve and I first met nearly 30 years ago and have been colleagues, competitors and friends over the course of more than half our lives. The world rarely sees someone who has had the profound impact Steve has had the effects of which will be felt for many generations to come. For those of us lucky enough to get to work with him, it's been an insanely great honour. 
Stephen Elop. I think that's how you say his name. Stephen Elop. Uh, Elop, maybe. Stephen Elop, the Nokia CEO. He said, the world's lost a true visionary today. Steve's passion for simplicity and elegance leaves us all a legacy that will endure for generations. Today, my thoughts and those of everyone at Nokia are with the friends and family that he leaves behind. French President Nicolas Sarkozy uh, on Facebook said this, His capacity to revolutionise entire sectors of the economy by the power of imagination and technology is a source of inspiration for millions of engineers and entrepreneurs across the world. His efforts to render new technologies more attractive and simple to use have made a success of businesses that have changed the world of computing, the distribution of cultural content, telecommunications and even animated cinema. And finally, Rupert Murdoch, the CEO of News Corporation, said, Today, we lost one of the most influential thinkers, creators and entrepreneurs of all time. Steve Jobs was simply the greatest CEO of his generation. The list goes on here of comments. I've got comments from Mark Zuckerberg, the um, founder of Facebook, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, all kinds of... um, you know, great business leaders have, have paid tribute to him. And it just shows just how much respect people had for him. I'll read out some more of those comments later. And you can actually read all of these uh, comments and a transcript for this um, on the web page, which you should know by now is http colon forward slash forward slash teacherluke.podomatic.com. Now, you're going to listen to a speech now that Steve Jobs made to um, a, a group of uh, graduate students from um, Stanford University back in 2005. And this is a great speech. It's a brilliant speech. It's, it's incredibly passionate, motivating and effective because um, it, it – it, it, It's much better than when I speak. Let's just put it that way. So I'm going to stop speaking now and you can listen to Steve Jobs talking about his life, talking about his motivation and talking about um, what drove him to success. Um, You can read a transcript to this speech on my webpage and I suggest that you read it. Um, you You could read it while you listen. You could just listen without reading or you could read and listen at the same time. Um, like I said, I will, at the end of this episode, read the transcript to you with my English accent so you can compare the accents as well. Um, there will be some – I'll also make some comments about the language that he uses. That's it. So enjoy Steve Jobs' um, fantastic speech um, at Stanford University. Here we are. This program is brought to you by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu. Thank you. I'm uh, honored to be with you today for your commencement from one of the finest universities in the world. Truth be told, Uh, I never graduated from college, and uh, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a college graduation. (laughs) Today, 
I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal. Just three stories. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why'd I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed graduate student, and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates, so everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife. Except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that they really wanted a girl. So my parents, who were on a waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, we've got an unexpected baby boy. Do you want him? They said, of course. My biological mother found out later that my mother had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school. She refused to sign the final adoption papers. She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would go to college. This was the start in my life. And 17 years later, I did go to college. But I naively chose a college that was almost as expensive as Stanford. And all of my working class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was, spending all of the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked far more interesting. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five-cent deposits to buy food with. And I would walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture, and I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me, and we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them.
I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. My second story is about love and loss. I was lucky. I found what I loved to do early in life. Waz and I started Apple in my parents' garage when I was 20. We worked hard, and in 10 years, Apple had grown from just the two of us in a garage into a $2 billion company with over 4,000 employees. We just released our finest creation, the Macintosh, a year earlier, and I just turned 30. And then I got fired. How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me. And for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge, and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. And so at 30, I was out, and very publicly out. What had been the focus of my entire adult life was gone, and it was devastating. I really didn't know what to do for a few months. I felt that I had let the previous generation of entrepreneurs down, that I had dropped the baton as it was being passed to me. I met with David Packard and Bob Noyce and tried to apologize for screwing up so badly. I was a very public failure and I even thought about running away from the valley. But something slowly began to dawn on me. I still loved what I did. The turn of events at Apple had not changed that one bit. I'd been rejected, but I was still in love. And so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. During the next five years, I started a company named Next, another company named Pixar, and fell in love with an amazing woman who would become my wife. Pixar went on to create the world's first computer animated feature film, Toy Story, and is now the most successful animation studio in the world. In a remarkable turn of events, Apple bought Next, and I returned to Apple, and the technology we developed at Next is at the heart of Apple's current renaissance. And Lorene and I have a wonderful family together. I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Apple. It was awful tasting medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. Sometime life, sometimes life's gonna hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love, and that is as true for work as it is for your lovers. Your work is gonna fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any great relationship, 
it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking. Don't settle. My third story is about death. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me. And since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I wanna do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. About a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a scan at 7.30 in the morning and it clearly showed a tumor on my pancreas. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The doctors told me this was almost certainly a type of cancer that is incurable and that I should expect to live no longer than three to six months. My doctor advised me to go home and get my affairs in order, which is doctor's code for prepare to die. It means to try and tell your kids everything. You thought you'd have the next 10 years to tell them in just a few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so that it will be as easy as possible for your family. It means to say your goodbyes. I live with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they stuck an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach and into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas and got a few cells from the tumor. I was sedated, but my wife who was there told me that when they viewed the cells under a microscope, the doctor started crying because it turned out to be a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable with surgery. I had the surgery and thankfully, I'm fine now. <clears throat> mm. This was the closest I've been to facing death, and I hope it's the closest I get for a few more decades. Having lived through it, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, <laughs> death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, 
have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. When I was young, there was an amazing publication called the Whole Earth Catalog, which was one of the Bibles of my generation. It was created by a fellow named Stuart Brand, not far from here in Menlo Park, and he brought it to life with his poetic touch. This was in the late 60s, before personal computers and desktop publishing, so it was all made with typewriters, scissors, and Polaroid cameras. It was sort of like Google in paperback form 35 years before Google came along. It was idealistic, overflowing with neat tools and great notions. Stuart and his team put out several issues of the Whole Earth Catalog, and then, when it had run its course, they put out a final issue. It was the mid-1970s, and I was your age. On the back cover of their final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on if you were so adventurous. Beneath it were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. It was their farewell message as they signed off, stay hungry, stay foolish. And I have always wished that for myself. And now, as you graduate to begin anew, I wish that for you. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you all very much. The preceding program is copyrighted by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow, that's really uh, inspirational stuff, I think, because he's, he's speaking from the heart. And he's also talking about really important things like, you know, life and death that affect all of us. And um, so I think if you really listen to that and really take it on board, we can learn a lot of things um, from what he just said. So it's uh, I'm sad that he's gone because um, he was a very sincere man and obviously a very intelligent guy and the sort of person who, who can um, influence people. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Um, 
as you probably heard at the end of that, um, S- uh, Stanford University do own uh, copyright over uh, that recording and the script. But I'm just hoping that um, since um, that is also freely available on YouTube and also other websites, I'm just hoping that uh, they don't um, search, for, you know, try and search for me and get me and tell me to stop using it. Um, I certainly hope so. If they do, if they do contact me and tell me to stop using that, then of course I'll take it down. But I don't think they're going to do that. Um, So you'll notice, I mean, yeah. So I've made a few notes about um, what he said. Now you can see the transcript for that whole speech on uh, my webpage. If you look at it, uh, you know the address already, http colon forward slash forward slash teacherluke.podomatic.com. You can find it there. Um, now, I talked to you before, and I, um, I've, I've talked before about um, noticing and how important it is uh, for your English that you kind of notice things, that you have to be really aware when you're listening or reading and try and notice bits of language or ways in which English is used. So, what I'm going to do now is just kind of give you some advice or tell you some things that hopefully will help you to notice certain um, features of English uh, that Steve used in his speech. Um, Now, so I'm just going to give some kind of feedback on um, his speech really, and and just talk about some features of English. Um, First thing I thought was like, what makes that such a good speech? What is it really that makes it such a good speech? Now we could go into a great deal of analysis over this and we, you know, linguists, if we wanted to go into great linguistic analysis, we could spend a long time looking at very fine details of exactly why that's such an effective speech. But I, I just wrote down a few things that um, I thought of. One of those, the, the first thing is that it's all from the heart. Um, it's all really sincere. He really means it. And that makes a difference when you're listening to someone who's speaking from the heart, who's being sincere. It makes a much bigger difference. It's, it has a lot more impact. So he's speaking from the heart. Second thing um, is that he is telling a story. He actually tells a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. It's in three parts, a three part story. And that's the classic structure for a story, a beginning, a middle and an end. And it seems the best stories have a beginning, a middle and an end. And certainly this speech does that too. And he he divides it into three parts. And he tells us at the beginning of the speech kind of what to expect. He informs us that he's going to tell us three stories. Um, And just letting people know in advance um, gives a bit of structure, frames the speech with a bit of structure so they know what to expect. Now, in some cases, you might not want to tell people what's going ca- to happen because um, th- that gives you the element of surprise. For example, if you're like giving a speech at a wedding, you wouldn't tell everyone um, exactly what you're going to say and then say it. It's, it's just the, a formal structure for like a speech or something. But uh, a, a speech at a wedding is a lot more informal. Um, so for kind of more of a formal structure, it's very good practice to explain what you're going to say first as an introduction. Um, so he ends his speech with a simple message, which is to, um, what was it now? To stay fo- stay hungry, stay foolish. That's a kind of conclusion at the end, um, just to so kind of round things off at the end. Um, he... Um, he he pauses 
while he's speaking. He uses pausing uh, for emphasis, which is a really good way of making what you're saying kind of sound more impressive. Um, Barack Obama does that as well. You'll find that pausing just sounds more more um, effective. So um, rather than saying, for example, so I'm going to get up, then I'm going to have a shower, then I'm going to have some breakfast, and then I'm going to go to work, right? It doesn't sound quite as effective or um, impressive as saying, first, I'm going to get up, then I'm going to have a shower, then I'm going to have some breakfast, and then I'm going to go to work. You know, it sounds a bit more um, um, impressive if you pause in that way. And he does that quite a lot. Um, he also uses um, intonation. That's the way his voice goes up and down. And he uses information to make different points. Um, so what's quite common is that you'll go up and then up and then up and then down at the end. Um, so going up kind of... Um, raises a bit of tension, creates a bit of interest, and then you go down in order to kind of conclude that point. And he does that quite a lot. So you should try and notice the way that he uses pausing and the way he goes up and down in order to make different points. So try and notice that. Maybe start doing it yourself when you want to make a, an interesting point. Um, what else? Um, the language style he uses is really quite appropriate. It's not too formal. It's not too informal. It's just at the right level to to be appropriate for the situation, but also to um, to allow people to easily understand him. So it's a kind of neutral style. Um, what else? Now, in terms of um, like specific bits of language that you can notice, and um, noticing. By, by noticing, I mean that you should kind of go through the script, listen to it really carefully, and just first, I suppose the first time you listen to it, you're kind of listening for the general meaning. But after that, when you want to analyse it or study it, just go through the script, listen, and just try and kind of uh, analyse the, the, the text and identify bits of grammar that he's using, uh, try and notice verb tenses and things and bits of vocabulary. Um, so, for example, he uses um, a couple of third conditional sentences in there. Um, for example, he says, if I had never dropped out, uh, I would have never had multiple typefaces in computers or something. So he uses a third conditional as a way of like commenting on the past. He also uses a mixed conditional as well. By, uh, a mixed conditional is a combination of like the past um, of like a part of a third conditional, like the if I had part of a third conditional and um, um, like referring to the present. So that might be something like, if I had won the lottery last year, I would be rich now. So you can see like a past, um, you know, like an alternative past, if I had won the lottery, and then um, an alternative present result, I would be rich now. If I had won the lottery last year, I would be rich now. Okay, and he, he uses like um, third conditional and mixed conditional to talk about the way that the past has affected the present or the way the past affected other events in the past. Um, there are lots of phrasal verbs that he uses. I've just written a few of them down from the beginning, but you can listen to the whole thing and try and find some others. He said to drop out of college. If you drop out, that means that you, um, you kind of quit. Um, you, you leave college 
maybe because you fail your exams or something or you don't attend all the right classes and you just drop out you leave to drop in he says as well is a less common phrasal verb and what he means is that he kind of visited other lectures and other classes so he dropped in um he said uh his that his his mum put him up for adoption to put someone up for adoption is to kind of uh make someone of make a child available to be adopted maybe because i don't know what the situation was with his mother she just didn't want to raise a child i suppose so she put him up for adoption um and he popped out by popped out just means he was born so uh, if something pops out like a uh, a cork might pop out of a bottle you know you get that kind of sound like that kind of thing um so he popped out it just means he was born uh, to figure something out he figured it out to figure something out here to figure out what you're going to do with your life that means to kind of work it out or to understand something uh, you know you sort of to to understand something after trying to understand it for a while uh, for example if you have a puzzle you need to look at the puzzle and try and, and solve it so to figure something out is to try and sort of eventually understand something right um, he said it would all work out okay if something works out okay then it means that in the end eventually it just is okay so you might have like a difficult situation in your life but if you just keep going it will work out okay in the end it just means you have that uh, everything will be better eventually right it'll work out okay um to stumble into something stumble is actually a, a way of walking when you're not steady on your feet so like a drunk person might stumble you know kind of walk slowly in an unsteady way and he's just you could stumble into something that means that you kind of uh, you start doing something in your life without really carefully um choosing your route into doing that so you might for example stumble into i don't know you, you might stumble into teaching so you just sort of end up teaching without really planning to do it you just stumbled into it um and to turn it it turned out to be priceless so he means that uh, things that he stumbled into just turned out to be priceless in the end if something something's priceless it means it's really valuable it's so valuable that it doesn't even have a price you can't put a price on it that's how valuable it is it's priceless um, and he said th that these things turned out to be priceless if something turns out to be something it means that it's um it becomes something in the end so you might say that it turned out to be a lovely day it means that in the at the beginning of the day it was it was cloudy but by the end of the day it was like a really sunny lovely day yeah it was really really cloudy when i woke up but it turned out to be a lovely day in the end that kind of thing uh, it all came back to me if something comes back to you it means that you remember it in this context it all just came back to me I, I kind of remembered it all later so he's talking about the things that he did when he was at college the classes that he dropped into about for example calligraphy um he he just did it because he was interested in it um and then later on it all came back to him when he was designing uh, his uh, his computers and he, that's why he included different typefaces in his computers because he realized how important and how beautiful they were um, so that's an interesting lesson to learn there when he's talking about um, 
you can't always see you can't always connect the dots so to connect the dots means that um, you might have like events in your life and it's not always obvious that there is like a line that connects all those dots together um so he's saying that you should just keep doing things just follow your heart just do what you love and it might be difficult to see how all of these things you're doing will connect together in some way but eventually in the future it will all kind of come together and um it will all work out so he's just sort of saying if you follow your heart if you if you're really true to yourself if you remember that you have to try not to waste any time and just be totally true to yourself and just keep following your your heart then he has faith or he had faith that things will just work out for you in the end and that was definitely true for him because he just followed his heart he did what he felt was really right and in the end he had huge success absolutely massive success as a result of being so brave as to just follow his heart um huge success i mean this is a guy who him and and probably bill gates and his part you know steve jobs's partner steve wozniak these were guys who made incredible innovations they created computers which we all apparently can't live without now the computers that we're using every day these guys just created them incredible i suppose someone had to do it but you know though that someone happened to be steve jobs in this situation um so back to the language uh, there are lots of prepositions in that text lots of them of course prepositions occur very commonly in english but they they can be difficult to notice they're difficult to hear obviously difficult to understand as well how do you use them well i guess you've got to try and just notice the way that they're used and um try and pick up pick it up for yourself work out your own rules because if you look in a in a grammar book anyone who's looked in a grammar book for like easy rules about prepositions there aren't really any maybe some rules about prepositions of time prepositions of place prepositions of movement but really all the others are just you know pretty arbitrary so you you just well not arbitrary uh it's they seem to be pretty random but there there are set phrases where you find prepositions being used so what you can do is just try and notice how steve jobs has used them in this presentation um but one thing is that um listen to the way that they are pronounced because prepositions can be pronounced in two ways really um in a strong way in the full way or in the weak or soft way and a lot of the time prepositions are pronounced in a very soft way because these are not these are not usually the meaning words these are not the words that carry the important meaning instead they're like little grammar words which you use to connect other words together and so they're often pronounced very quickly with a weak pronunciation uh, for example um I let me think of a good example. I want I wanted to see her. I wanted to see her. So, wanted to see her. But that to is just a grammar word really. It's it's not a preposition actually. It's part of a an infinitive. It's want to do, isn't it? So that's actually an infinitive. But anyway, um you would say I wanted to see her. I wanted to see her. So that to becomes to. Yeah. Um you might say what are your reasons for doing this and for there f o r um in a fluent sentence would be like f. So what are your reasons for doing this? Uh or what are your reasons for doing this? 
So just notice the way that uh, Steve Jobs pronounces prepositions. Does he pronounce them in the strong form or the weak form? And if he's pronouncing them in the strong form, why? Why, is it, why are some of them being pronounced in the strong form? It's probably because they, he's emphasizing those things as a way of emphasizing the specific meaning that they could, could, be, um, they could convey. Um, and let me just try and think of an example of this. Um, this could turn out to be a very long podcast. Um, let me just really quickly find an example. Oh, I've, I've got rid of the script. Where's the script? Okay, I can't think of an example because I've got rid of the script on my screen. But um, um, what are you doing this for? And what are you doing this for? Maybe something like that. Or um, uh, I wanted to, to put to put things off until the last minute. Um, I, I wanted to put it off until the last minute, and I wanted to put it off until the last minute. I mean, you often will stress prepositions, or you sometimes stress prepositions with a strong form as a way of emphasising them, because sometimes they do affect the meaning. Um, Read through. Um, oh, I've just had my dinner and my brain is kind of half dead. It's the evening. It's been a long day. It's like part. It's nearly my bedtime. So um, anyway, so notice the way he uses prepositions. Also notice bits of vocabulary. I don't have time to give you definitions of them all and explain them all. I just don't. There's just not enough not enough hours in the day. Um, but what you can do and what which will help you very much is to become a bit independent with your learning take responsibility of your learning yourself so notice any vocabulary that he's using that you you're not completely sure of anything that you're not 100% sure of notice it make uh, look it up in the dictionary guess what the words mean from context and then check them in a dictionary it's a good way of picking up some new phrases for you also you should try and pay attention to verb tenses and verb forms that he's using Check out all the different tenses, like present simple, present perfect, past simple, past perfect. He definitely uses past perfect quite a lot in this um, in this speech. So notice those things and draw your own conclusions. Okay. Um, so in the end, really, it's like you, you can you can learn a lot from the things he says, and you can apply them to your own life particularly uh, in regard to learning English. So he says, it may not be, essentially he says, it may not be obvious now, but if you have faith in yourself and you keep going, then the dots will join later. And that's also true for English. It might not be obvious to you right now, immediately, that what you're doing is actually very useful to you. Um, but you should keep keep going, keep listening to things like Luke's English podcast, keep reading, keep studying the language and keep sort of enjoying it if you can. And then later on, you will notice, you will see the benefit later. So just keep enjoying the language as much as you can. That might sound ridiculous if it's difficult, but you've got to just keep, keep going and you'll see the benefit later. Okay. Um, another thing he mentioned was this idea that, that you really have nothing to lose. If you face death, if you look in the mirror and you think this is my last day, then you realize that you don't really have much to lose. Certainly when it comes to making a fool of yourself, um, just go out there and do it because it's those experiences where you really learn things. So don't be shy about taking risks with English. Just go for it. You know, stay hungry, stay foolish. Yeah. 
Because being foolish here means not being safe, not staying in your comfort zone. You've got to take risks with English. Go outside your comfort zone. Go the extra distance and you'll see the benefit later on. Um, now, I, I feel a little bit like a hypocrite here because um, English is really the only language I speak. I really must learn some French because my girlfriend's French. And so um, I, I really want to be able to communicate with her and in her own language. So I... I really have to learn some French. So that's another thing that I have to do um, with my time. Uh, so I, I really want to be able to talk to her dad and things like that in French. So I really, sh I mean, it's ridiculous that I say all these, these things about learning English, but uh, I'm not actually going out there learning French myself. So I feel like a bit of a hypocrite. Anyway, that's, that's something for me to, to worry about, not you to worry about. Because you already speak more more languages than me. You've got your own language and English, which I'm sure is much better than the way I speak French. Um, so, right, now what I'm going to do is actually read um, read the speech to you in my English accent. This is a chance for you to just try and identify um, some differences between American uh, the American sort of accent or an American accent, in this case, the accent of Steve Jobs, who is a Californian. Um, I'm not sure exactly what specific kind of Californian accent it is, but that's as specific as I can get, really, with an American accent. It's, he's from California. So um, you'll notice that when he speaks, he speaks with that American accent. I'm honored to be with you today at your commencement. You know, he's got that American accent. So let's just to give you a chance to compare an American accent with a British accent. I'm going to now read Steve uh, uh, Steve Jobs' uh, speech to you with an English accent. Um, I wonder how different it will be. I'm going to try and do things like pause in certain places and use intonation and things like that. Hopefully, I will do it. I will do it justice because it's a very good speech. Um, obviously, Steve Jobs does it best, or he did it best. I'm just doing it as a way to allow you to to see some differences in American in an American English accent and a British English accent. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage uh, Mr. Steve Jobs. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, I'm honoured to be with you today at your commencement from one of the finest universities in the world. Um, I never graduated from college. Truth be told... This is the closest I've ever got to a college graduation. Today, I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal. Just three stories. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then I stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why did I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed college graduate student, and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates, so everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife, except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that, w that they really wanted a girl. So my parents, who were on the waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, We've got an unexpected baby boy. Do you want him? They said, Of course. My biological mother later found out that my mother 
had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school, she refused to sign the final adoption papers. She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would go to college. This was the start in my life. And 17 years later, I did go to college, but I naively chose a college that was almost as expensive as Stanford. And all of my working class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was spending all of the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back at but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked far more interesting. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five-cent deposits to buy food with, and I would walk the seven miles across town every day, night, <clears throat> and I would walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by, my, by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Calligraphed. <laughs> because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture, and I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me, and we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on this calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. My second story is about love and loss. I was lucky. 
I found out what I loved to do early in life. Was and I started Apple in my parents' garage when I was 20. We worked hard, and in 10 years, Apple had grown from just the two of us in a garage into a $2 billion company with over 4,000 employees. We'd just released our finest creation, the Macintosh, a year earlier, and I had just turned 30. And then I got fired. How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me. And for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. So at 30, I was out and very publicly out. What had been the focus of my entire adult life was gone and it was devastating. I really didn't know what to do for a few months. I felt that I had the I felt that I'd let the previous generation of entrepreneurs down, that I'd dropped the baton as it was being passed to me. I met with David Packard and Bob Noyce and tried to apologize for screwing up so badly. I was a very public failure, and I even thought about running away from the valley. But something slowly began to dawn on me. I still loved what I did. The turn of events at Apple had not changed that one bit. I had been I had been rejected, but I was still in love, and so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could ever happen to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again less sure about everything, it freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. During the next five years, I started a company named Next, another company named Pixar, and fell in love with an amazing woman who would become my wife. Pixar went on to create the world's first computer animated feature film, Toy Story, and is now the most successful animation studio in the world. In a remarkable turn of events, Apple bought Next. I returned to Apple, and the technology we developed at Next is at the heart of Apple's current renaissance. And and Lorene, Lauren, Lorene, I don't know her name. And Lorene and I have a wonderful family together. I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Apple. It was It was awful tasting medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. Sometimes life's going to hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love, and that is as true for your work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking. Don't settle. My third story is about death. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. 
it made an impression on me. And since then, for the last, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the question has been no, for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because most, because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. About a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a scan at 7.30 in the morning, and it clearly showed a tumour on my pancreas. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The doctor told me this was almost certainly a type of cancer that is incurable, and that I should expect to live no longer than three to six months. My doctor advised me to go home and get my affairs in order, which is doctor's code for prepare to die. It means everything is... It means try to tell your kids everything you thought you'd have the next 10 years to tell them in just a few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so that it will be as easy as possible for your family. It means to say your goodbyes. I lived with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they stuck an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach and into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas and got a few cells from the tumour. I was sedated, but my wife, who was there, told me that when they viewed the cells under a microscope, the doctors started crying because it turned out to be a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable with surgery. I had the surgery and thankfully I'm fine now. This was the closest I've been to facing death and I hope it's the closest I get for a few more decades. Having lived through it, I can now say that this, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but part <clears throat> I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a youthful, useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be. Because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to be, 
they somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. <clears throat> when I was young, there was an amazing publication called the Whole Earth Catalogue, which was one of the Bibles of my generation. It was created by a fellow named Stuart Brand, not far from here in Menlo Park, and he brought it to life with his poetic touch. This was in the late 1960s, before personal computers and desktop publishing, so it was all made with typewriters, scissors and Polaroid cameras. It was sort of like Google in paperback form, 35 years before Google came along. It was idealistic and overflowing with neat tools and great notions. Stuart and his team put out several issues of the Whole Earth catalogue, and then when it had run its course, they put out a final issue. It was the mid-1970s, and I was your age. On the back cover of their final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on, if you were so adventurous. Beneath it were the words, Stay hungry, stay foolish. It was their farewell message as they signed off. Stay hungry, stay foolish. And I've always wished that for myself. And now, as you graduate to begin anew, I wish that for you. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you all very much. Right, so there you go. That's um, that's like uh, my version of his speech. And it's quite touching, isn't it? Um, so what can you do with that here at the end of the podcast? Well, what I'd suggest is that you now take a copy of that speech and you read it too. And you try and make it sound emphatic. Try and put your heart into it. Um, practice reading it over and over again. Record yourself. Um, try and make it sound as moving as possible. Try and get the pauses in the right places. Um, copy me or copy Steve Jobs. Probably copy Steve Jobs, to be honest. Um, and um, and just keep practicing. And uh, don't worry about connecting the dots because they'll all come together later on. That's the end of this episode of Luke's English Podcast. And um, I'd just like to thank Steve Jobs for allowing me to do this with my Apple Macintosh uh, MacBook computer. Um, yeah, I'm, maybe I'm caught up in the hysteria of the sort of um, the Apple madness, but um, I, I think I'm a reasonable person. I hope so. But um, still, I feel slightly touched by the fact that Steve Jobs is no longer with us. I wonder what's going to happen to Apple computers. I wonder if they've had their best days. We'll see, won't we, I suppose. Um, so, that's the end of this episode thanks very much for listening and um, have a good day have a good evening have a good night have a good morning whatever it is you're doing wherever you are thanks again for listening bye 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 thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast to find a transcript to this episode just visit teacherluke.podomatic.com Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.